You're listening to Cutaneous Miscellaneous, the Dermatology Residence Podcast. Welcome back to Cutaneous Miscellaneous. In the last episode, I had a blast recording in front of a live audience in Las Vegas. And of course, I had a little bit of time to enjoy myself in Vegas as well. I ended up doing some gambling at the win, but I lost. So if anybody can explain that to me, I would appreciate it. And apparently my last minute substitution into the Magic Mike show at the Sahara Hotel was such a big hit that HBO called me and wants to do a sequel to Finding Magic Mike called Finding Magic Nick. So Jen, is that something you might want to watch or no? I think I will pass. Okay. But thanks for the offer. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe maybe I'll, uh, I'll hold off on that idea until next year. But uh, so happy and honored to welcome Dr. Jen Parker uh, as our special guest on this episode. Um, Jen is chief resident at Temple uh, Dermatology uh, at Lewis Cat School of Medicine. And Jen, if we go through your resume, we might run out of time on our episode. <laughs> you're, you're so accomplished. So well, I want to give a couple highlights to our listeners. So Jen is MD, PhD from Stanford. She's board certified radiation oncologist and I think has an MPH from Harvard. Is that true? Correct. Okay. She also recently got written up in the Chicago Tribune. So I found an article about you, Jen. Oh, I'm like, you found that, huh? <laughs> Pretty much. If there was like a Marvel superhero movie starring dermatology residents, I think you'd be cast as, a, as the main character, Jen. That's so nice of you. So, Jen, so great to have you here. We're going to discuss some really great things in this episode. Uh, but first, I want to start up with some board review and some practical tips for the residents. And we're going to talk about dermatomyositis. And I have a patient in clinic. I'm managing with dermatomyositis. I saw her today. She's doing great. But please just give me and the residents some tips on what's important for the boards and what's important for the wards. Yes. So let's definitely talk about dermatomyositis. So it tends to predominate in females. And there's a bimodal peak in terms of the incidence. So it appears in childhood from ages 5 to 14, and then adulthood from around 45 to 65. So some of the clinical features you want to think about when you're diagnosing with someone with dermatomyositis are the following. So you're going to look for symmetric proximal muscle weakness. Typically, there's a lack of pain. Gotrin's papules, which are lichenoid papules that overlie the knuckles, are pathognomonic. You may also have facial erythema with malar involvement and then involvement of the nasolabial folds. Unlike with lupus, you do not have involvement of the nasolabial folds. People may have also heard about the helotrope sign. So you have the periorbital erythema and edema, as well as the holster sign, which involves the lateral thigh, and then the shawl sign, which is the chest and upper back. Uh, Patients may also have mechanics hands. So you have these rough hyperkeratotic hands on the lateral and parmal side of the fingers, as well as ragged cuticles. If the patients have vasculitis, that's a really bad sign and is usually associated with malignancy in adults. And something special in children is calcinosis cutis. So if you have a patient with any of these features, you want to think about dermatomyositis and then perform additional workup. So Probably in the patient you saw, you checked the CK and aldolase. Um, I did. It's important, right. So it's important to know CK is more sensitive for muscle involvement than aldolase. You also want to check an ANA just to make sure nothing else is going on. Um, however, muscle biopsy is the gold standard, which we don't do. I don't know if they do that at other institutions. And then you really want to look into the myositis-specific antibodies because that can give you some information about what their prognosis is. 
And those are very important for the for the boards and the exams too, right? I'm sure those are very testable. Right. Yeah. So they definitely will ask about the labs that you check as well as the different types. So something to highlight in terms of the different types are the Joe one, which is seen with the antisynthesase syndrome. So that's the one where you're going to have interstitial lung disease and mechanic hands and some of the other classic signs. And if you're me too, you have a good prognosis and it's usually not associated with the lung disease or malignancy. The TIF-1 phenotype, that one's important because you have a high risk of skin cancer and they really have like severe skin disease. And then MDA-5, as we learn, that's the one where they have really rapidly progressive lung disease, but they do not have the muscle weakness. So that's key for that population. And then in children, if they have the NXP2 autoantibodies, then that's a poor prognosis and they're going to have the calcinosis cutis. So one of the things they always worry about with dermatomyositis is malignancy in adults. So not in children, but in adults. And so in adults, the most common type is going to be ovarian followed by GI. And typically the cancers are going to be detected in one or two years. And you want to keep screening them every four to six months or so over five years. And the risk for cancer returns to normal after five years. So that's a key point. So you'll have to let the patients know and counsel them that they're at a higher risk of malignancy. Awesome. Jen, that was so great. I mean, we could do a whole episode on dermatomyositis, but I think everything you said was super high yield. It reminded me of some very important points for my patient and for the exam. So I really appreciate you going through all that. But I want to jump into the main portion of the episode now, and we're going to talk about finding your first job after dermatology residency, how you do that, what are the important points, and you know, You've heard me say this, but the days are long and the years are short, right? So yes, you, <laughs> I've heard you say that many times. I've said that many times, you know, but it's true. You know, I, I uh, you start residency and day one and all of a sudden a year in, a year and a half in, you got to look for, you're going to start finding out what you're going to do next. Um, and, you know, you know, I've done many years. I've done a couple years of plastics, some Durham research fellowship. So by the time I'm done with residency, I may just retire. But in case, <laughs> in case, in case I actually want to get a job. I want to ask you a couple of questions and you just went through this process. You just went through this process. You're the perfect person to talk to about this. So first question is, how do you start looking for your first job or or what resources are there out there to help you figure this out? Right. So number one, I started looking in the fall of the year prior to when I wanted to start working. So I'll be starting in September, but I started looking around August of 2022 And so one of the things I was thinking about when I was first looking for my first job was, you know, where could I find out information about it? So definitely networking at the major conferences is huge. Getting to talk to people, um, seeing what opportunities they know about. They may know about some things you weren't even thinking about. Definitely like discussing with your mentors. They tend to have insight, especially if they've been at different institutions, into possibly how it will be to have a job there. I definitely like word of mouth referrals from faculty, other colleagues who are friends. Um, I attended the AAD career fair at the annual meeting. And so I got to talk with a lot of people during that meeting as well. That meeting tends to have more of the private jobs, but it was still good to go and meet with people to start the process. They also have the online AAD career compass where you can go and look at places. And if you really have somewhere you're interested in, you can cold email them and say, hey, this is 
my CV. This is what my interests are. I'm going to be interested in starting a job at this time. Are you going to have any openings around there? And a lot of times they'll say, well, we don't know what we'll have open yet, but, you know, reach back out to us. And so they'll give you a time frame for that or they may know already. Right. So there's a lot of resources, it sounds like, which is great. And, Definitely. Um, it's so important, as you said, to network. And even you're a first year dermatology resident, it's your first day of residency. Don't be afraid to start networking because opportunities may come up and you may not be ready for them, but they may be there for you in the future. Or you'll develop a relationship and somebody will think of you in a year or two when you're ready and say, hey, I know what you want to do and I've got a great opportunity for you, right? So you can't discount the importance of networking. And I know that's something that you've been involved in and it's it's just, it's it's the main thing to do, right? Yes, it's huge. You definitely want to network because like you said, something may not be open at the time, but if you get to know people, they'll think of your name or, or call your name when something comes up. And a lot of times that's how your best opportunities come about. So you definitely want to try to meet as many people with, as you can, especially if you're interested in a particular area and that's an area that they're an expert in. So the more knowledge you have, the better. Sure. Now, your first job is obviously not going to be your last job in most cases. So what are some things that you look for or residents should look for when selecting their first job out of residency? What are some ideal characteristics that you'd want to really pay attention to? Right. So I would say one of the things that is true that you said is, you know, it likely won't be your first job. You know, many people move on after a couple of years, but I was talking to one of my mentors, advisors, and she was telling me, you still want to consider taking a job where you can see yourself for at least five years, even if you don't stay there, because it takes a while to build up your patient base and your representation. And so you want to think about that when you're taking a job. You definitely don't want to take somewhere where you're like, oh, I'll just leave in a year. It really should be somewhere you're thinking of staying, even if you move on from that job. But some of the things you should look for when looking for a job is, you know, where do you want to live? That's a, a huge thing. You know, this isn't training anymore, so we don't have to go wherever the match tells us to go. Okay. You that's can a, actually that's a good thing, right? You can actually pick where you want to live and where you want to be. And if you have a family or other responsibilities, obviously that's going to play into it. You have to think about the type of practice you want to be in. Do you want to be in private versus academic? I applied for both types of jobs because I wasn't initially sure from the beginning. So I wanted to get a sense of what was available. I think it's important to really think about what your priorities are for what you're looking for in a job and is what the employer is looking for match what you're interested in. So for example, if you're someone that doesn't want to see children, you're like, I only want to see adults. Well, it's probably not good to go apply and take a job where you know you're going to have to see children unless you're right, able to negotiate sense. that out of you know, the position. So you want to think about those things. If you have specific research interests, you may want to be somewhere where that is well known and or there's going to be the resources available for you to develop that. You also want to think about the culture of the place. Everywhere I've ever chosen for all of my training, all my schooling, I've been in places where I liked the culture. I could see myself thriving there and I would have the support and mentorship I wanted. That has made a huge difference. So you definitely need to consider that when you're looking at a place. 
I, I didn't even realize that, but you make a great point about the culture. You know, you really got to make sure that it's a place you're going to be happy at, you're going to thrive at, and that you're going to you're going to mesh well. Right. That is a huge thing because you have to go there every day. And yeah, we all love dermatology, but you don't want to go in an environment that you don't enjoy being in because it's not going to make your job as fun. And this is our life's work. So you want to be in a place where you feel comfortable and that you can become your best self and where you can really feel like your career will unfold. Absolutely. So Jen, okay, you've, you've found your job um, through networking. Uh, you were ready to interview for the job and they, they gave you an interview, which is amazing. You're so excited. So how do you prepare? Do you need to get a cover letter and resume ready or, or yes. what do you do to so, prepare, prepare for these interviews? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, before you even, you know, get the interview, they're going, when you're applying, even when you're sending, say it's a cold call email, in that email, you're going to attach in a cover letter or through the email itself, what your interests are, what you're looking for, what you see for your career. And then obviously you're going to have your CV with all of your information about your background. So you'll attach that to the email, but oftentimes places will start the interview that way and then they'll have you do the actual formal application once they really do want you to apply for the position. So then you're going to have to upload all of those things. You're also going to need your references and letters of recommendation, at least for academics. They don't require letters of recommendation for private, but they'll still want to know what your references are. So you'll have all that information by the time you actually go for the interview and you know I prepared for my derm interviews the same way I prepared for all of the interviews I've had or any um, any job that I've had I wanted to make sure not so much because I wasn't sure of like who I am what I wanted to say or like what I'm looking for but just to make sure that I portrayed it in a way where the listener was going to be able to really receive that information so I just thought about what I was really interested in. So you want to have thought out responses for your interests, your passions, your future goals for your career. You want to be able to articulate what you're looking for in a job because now we're at a point, you're the chooser basically. So Yes, you have the coaching power now in yeah, some respect. You yeah. have to remember that I know we're residents and in training and we're always listening to the attendings for things, but now it's flipped like you're the one deciding. Yeah, it's, what right I, it's what for, I want now and what's yeah, going to work what for me. Yeah, what do you want? What yeah, do you want? Yeah. So you have to know what you want. And right, be able right, to, to like, a certain extent. <laughs> right, to talk about that, like while you're looking um, for the job, you also want to be able to speak to like, when made you apply to that place? Why are you interested in them? And I think it's also important to like read about who you'll be meeting with so you can be able to strike up a conversation with them as well. And I would research even before you get there, kind of what are the benchmarks for the area in terms of like salary so that when you actually go for the job, you can talk about that part intelligently or any of the aspects you're looking for in terms of the technical aspects of the job. So salary, bonuses, um, those are things that people obviously care about. You're going to have questions about the call schedule. You're going to have questions about what locations you may have to work at while you're there. You'll want to be able to ask questions about what benefits are associated with the job. So 
What do they offer for CME reimbursements? What do they offer for board and licensing expenses? What are oh, the those requirements? Are, those are all I n- never thought about. Yeah, like what are requirements in terms of like malpractice, tail insurance? So you want to be able to ask those questions. Obviously, you're not going to get into all the nitty gritty details during the interview, but they do present a that, lot of that information to you. So you want to be able to have some questions to follow that up. I think it's more the interviews are more of you really learning about the place and getting the information you need to make the decision if that's somewhere where you would consider. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, we've all interviewed for medical school, you know, why do you want to be a doctor? Tell me about a challenging time in college. Then you're in Durham, you interview for Durham. Why do you want to be a Durham? You know, what's the serious about Durham? What do you want to do in Durham? But now interviewing for a job, I'm just curious about what kind of questions are asked. You kind of hidden it already, but what do they ask you? And it kind of sounds like what you said, like it's more about you're asking them questions, but do they ask you behavioral questions? Like what's the strength and weakness? Or do they ask you, you know, uh, what was a challenging time in residency or something like that? Yeah, no. So I didn't get as much of those questions. I more so got questions of what are you interested in clinically? Where do you see your career going? Like, what do you want for your life basically? Okay. And Got how it. are you going, how would you be able to develop that at our place of business? So everyone in, everyone in Durham's a superstar, right? Obviously everyone's so qualified and right. competent for these jobs. So it's kind of just like, hey, how can we work together to make this a great partnership? That's kind of the idea, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you, that's what I said. You have to know what you want. So you need to sit with, your, with yourself and really figure that out because this isn't, you know, when people interviewed for med school residency, there's always going to be the people who kind of have like the canned answer for stuff. Like they looked it up and they're like, I'm going to say exactly this, but it may not necessarily be genuine. So now is the time like you need to give the genuine answer because what they're offering is going to be based off what you said you were interested in. So if you're not interested in something, don't say you're interested in it because they're going to really think you are and you know, try to put you down a path for that. Or if you don't know if you're interested because you haven't done it yet, you can say, oh, I may be, I may need to look into that more. But right now, that's not something that's top of my mind to do. Like, you really have to be honest about what you want. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I love what you said, you know, find out what you want. Now, now it's your time to graduate and you're in the driver's seat now of your career. You've done residency, you've done great. Now you can start getting some things that you want. Only thing that I know that I want right now is a mandatory donut break at about 10 a.m. So <laughs> I don't know if you came across that, but that that's definitely important to I me. I have not come across that. Okay. <laughs> and well, you know me, you know I'm not uh, eating the donuts, but. <laughs> if I come work for you, then can I have a donut break at 10 a.m. please every day? Yeah, sure. Okay. For sure. All right, all right, good. You're going to be a good boss then. So Jen, how important are letters of recommendation from your residency directors and your mentors and faculty when you apply to these jobs? Are they kind of useless at this point because you, you're graduated residency and they know you're competent or did it really make a difference when they're choosing amongst candidates? No, I think it definitely, like I said, I think it definitely matters for academics in terms of the letter of recommendation. Verbal recommendations are super important regardless of it's academic or a private setting. Because many times, as was the case with me, like people will call about you to talk to those who you worked with or who have worked with in the past and find out more information about you. So it's definitely important that those are great references whether it's verbal or in writing okay okay uh and a couple more questions jen so let's say you've you've selected your job you know where you're going this is so exciting can't wait to get started 
Um, what are a couple tips or what are a couple things you're going to do in the first couple of days, first couple of weeks, first couple of months, once you start to kind of transition from um, being a resident to being an attending? So I think one of the major things that will be important, which I don't know if a lot of people do because they're just so excited that they have a job, is to read through what your responsibilities are because you've signed the contract and you've gone over the nitty-gritty details of that but often places especially in academics they'll have like a faculty handbook and so you want to know like what's expected of you what your requirements are whether your job is going to just be part of like the med school like with us like the lewis cat school of medicine or your employee of temple university hospital or both you need to know that because they have different requirements. So I think you need to read about what the requirements are for each. You should read about, you know, what it will take for you to move to the next level, what they expect of you each year so that you are meeting the benchmarks that you need to meet. So I think that's a good base to have when you're starting out. I think another thing you need to keep in mind, which I personally feel is that you shouldn't narrow yourself too much when starting out i think it's better to see everything okay that's a good um, tip i i think you'll kind of get a sense more for how life is as an attending when you can pretty much manage whatever walks through your door and then over time you can narrow down based on your interest i wouldn't go in too narrow right away because i feel like that that limits yourself so I think one of the big things in starting is just to know exactly what you've signed up for. So read about it and make sure you have all your questions answered. But beyond that, where you go into work to be open to what's available and what's offered. And then from there, once you kind of get used to things, how the system works, what type of things you're really interested in when you have to see it day in and day out, then you can narrow down and focus on some things. Awesome. That, that was great advice. And Jen, we're about out of time here, but this was so helpful to me. I'm going to call you up in about a year or two. I'm looking for a job and okay. get some more advice from you. Yeah, I'll have some donuts ready for you. <laughs> All right, we'll have it in person then. Yeah. Donuts and coffee, perfect. <laughs> uh, we always end, Jen, with a fun personal question. And again, you're about to graduate and be an attending, which is amazing. So what's going to be your first treat yourself, you know, uh, purchase after you get your first attending paycheck? Okay, so I've had my name on a Chanel bag waitlist for okay. a while. So I'm hoping I will be off later this year. And that is what I'm purchasing. But I'm okay. waitlist for two and a half years. <laughs> well, you definitely deserve it. Uh, Jen, thank you so much again for talking to me. You really helped me help the residents uh, prepare for getting their first job and interviewing. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. Money.